Amen. Uh, you may or may not know this about me. I'm a, I'm a big music fan uh, from the time I was, I think I was 15, the first time I went to a concert. And I was hooked, like live music and going and all this. Uh, I'm kind of a nerd about it, too. Uh, there's this great website I found years ago called Setlist, like .com or something like that. And it's all these set lists and all these concerts that have been played. And I've gone through and I've like tried to remember all the ones I've gone to. And I've, I've gotten to where it's like over 200 concerts in my life. And so it's like I really love to go and, and see different bands and different stuff. And so I was thinking about this because Joanna and I went last last week. Uh, to a concert, and I have the same thing that happens almost every time I go. Uh, there's a couple things that I always think through, and I was sitting there and watching kind of all these people that are excited about this same band, and it was a band that I've, I've liked for like 20 years, and so they start playing songs, and there's all these memories that come flooding back with all these different songs. Uh, some of them I was remembering uh, when my, my first two boys were born because some of these songs were popular then, and some of it was being a newlywed and all these different things, and these emotions kind of come rushing back. But then also you look around the room when you go to a, a whatever size show it is and you're sitting there and all these people kind of there for the same reason and excited about it together and you have this thing in common. And so a lot of those things kind of come flooding into my mind and I love the way music does that. And there's so many memories attached and your senses and all part of it. And I was thinking about that this last week as we were sitting there at that concert, but then thinking about when we come into this room and we gather together and we get to sing God's praises together and how this is even better. Like as much as I love to go to concerts like that, but we get to come here and we get to sing about this common thing that we have in common of, of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And we get to raise our voices together and God uses music in our worship. He's designed us in this way. And he tells us, actually, Andy read it to us in, in Psalm 33 this morning, that praise befits the upright, that God has created us to be people who praise and that he's made music to help us in that. And so I love just to think about the importance of all of that and how it comes together. And so one of the things that I try to do every so often in our worship gathering is to kind of pause right now. We've been walking our way through chronologically the Gospels. And we've really just come right up to the edge of the end of year two of Jesus's ministry. And we're going to kind of pause. We'll come back to that in a couple weeks. The bridge that will take us from year two to year three is John chapter six and the bread of life discourse. And we'll come back to that. We're going to work our way through that. But for a couple weeks, what I like to do from time to time is just kind of stop and focus on some of the songs that we sing here at Church of the Apostles. And I'm going to do that this morning. I'm going to pick a song that I want us to think about together because if you consider this or not, the songs that we sing corporately together are an important part of the teaching ministry of our church. We're singing songs that are telling us about who God is and we're raising our voices together and it helps unite us in that. But in a lot of ways, music becomes really important because oftentimes you'll leave here with the song or one of the songs stuck in your mind and you're singing it throughout the day. And you start to know those words and it becomes part of your life. And it's really important part of the teaching ministry as we gather together. And so I like to stop and kind of point that out because of how important that is. But when we do this and we spend time kind of walking through what it is we're singing and why we're singing it, my hope is when we sing that song, uh, like today, the one we're going to talk about, we're going to sing after the sermon. But then in the future, when we sing it again, you'll remember some of these things and it'll make it that much richer and deeper. And we'll start to hold those things better together. And so it's an important part of the teaching ministry of our church. God tells us to sing songs, to lift our voices together. It's part of what he commands us as part of our discipleship. 
And so today we're going to look at one of the songs that we sing that we really just started uh, a couple years ago. It's fairly new to our church, although it's not a super new song. And it's a song called Though You Slay Me by Shane and Shane, if you've ever heard that song before. We're going to sing it in a few minutes after the sermon, if you haven't. But the song uh, is by the artist Shane and Shane. Those guys are really brilliant in the way they came up with it. It's two guys named Shane Bernard and Shane Everett. <laughs> and the two of them came together. And they have been worship leaders and they put out a ton of albums through the years. We actually sing a few of their songs here at Church of the Apostles. But Shane and Shane met together when they were in college and they started writing songs and they were leading worship at a Bible study. Uh, fun fact, if you didn't know this, Shane and Shane got together at the greatest university in the history of America. Uh, they're both Aggies. They both went to Texas A&M, if you were unaware of what school that is. But Shane and Shane started at Texas A&M. Uh, they actually led at a Bible study that Joanna and I went to a couple of years after they were there for years. And so they used to lead on campus and they got their start there. But this song, Shane Bernard, one of the two guys, wrote in response to his father having a heart attack. And so he tells the story. I've heard him tell it a couple different times that they were on tour and his mother calls and says, your dad, we're on the way to the hospital. Your dad had a heart attack. And they, he left where he was on tour and immediately flew home to be with his mother. And he says, he walks into the hospital and he and his mom are there. His dad is in surgery. And as they're standing there shortly after he gets there, they come out and they say, your dad's passed away. He didn't make it. And so this story of he and his mom standing there and he tells the story of what happened is that as they got this news, he said, my mom was, you know, we were both crying and in and, uh, grief and weeping and going through this. And he said, but then all of a sudden he said, my mom started to sing. And he said, she started to sing, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And he said, it was such a strained, like you could barely even hear it was in this, this uh, you had to strain to hear her singing it, but he's like, she was singing. He said, in that moment, she was singing, and he said it was out of grief and it was out of sadness. He said, but there was a joy there. There was a profound joy, even in those moments, right after she had heard that her husband of 40-something years had just passed away. And so he said, I wrote this song thinking about that idea of how we sing praises to God in the midst of the deepest of sadness and the hardness of times. And so when I heard him talk about that song and say this about his father passing away and what that was like and being able to sing praises, I knew exactly what he meant. I vividly remember being oh, probably 20 years old and sitting in the second row of a church at my uncle's funeral behind my aunt and my cousins and my uncle had just passed away and them as a family singing praises to God together. I mean, out of joy, overwhelmed about who God was in the midst of that. I vividly remember sitting on my front porch the day after my brother Jed died with my Bible open in my lap reading the book of Job and getting to the end and going, God, you are at work in ways that are so far beyond anything that I can understand and praising his name in the midst of heartache. I remember being at my brother's funeral and watching my parents sing in the same way that Shane talks about his mother singing in the hospital. And so the question I want us to consider this morning is, how does that happen? Why would we sing a song like this? Though you slay me, I will worship your name. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. How do we get to that point? How do we get to a place where we can continue to trust God and to sing his praises with a true joy, even in the midst of the hardest times? 
And so I want us to think about that song together. And the way that we're going to look at it really is set against James chapter 1. Because James chapter 1 gives us some really invaluable things that helps us understand how that's possible. And so I want us to think about it this way as we look at it together. First, we must be grounded in the foundational truth of who God is. There's some things that the Bible clearly tells us about God's character and who he is. And if we miss those, we'll never understand what we're saying here. And so we have to start there, those foundational truths of who God is. And then secondly, when those times come in our life, and there will be times when it is really, really difficult and it's really hard, how do we endure? How do we continue to be able to praise him in the midst of that? And there's three things that I want us to see together to help us to understand that. But first, let's start at the foundational truth of who God is. And so the very first verse of this song, the very first thing that it says It says, I come, God, I come, I return to the Lord, the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. You strike down to bind me up and you say you do it all in love that I might know you in your suffering. And then the very first part of the chorus is, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. And we've sang that song for a while. Maybe you've heard that before. Hopefully the song's at least somewhat familiar to you if you've been here for a little while. But I want to ask a question. I want you to really be truthful as you think about this right off the bat. When you hear the beginning of that song and it says, you're the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. You strike down to bind me up. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Does anybody have a problem with that? You ever hear that song and go, "Ah, I'm not real excited about that one. Though you slay me, though you break me down, though you've torn me apart, all these things that he's saying. Have you ever heard that and gone, what's the deal with that? It's okay if you have. I mean, that's partly why we're talking about it, that we would understand what we're talking about. But part of that is we struggle with that kind of language. It's almost like it's attributing to God all the horrible things that come in life. And so is that what it's saying? Is that what we're proclaiming? Say, well, not exactly. And I want you to understand the biblical truth of how that holds together. And so the first thing that I want us to consider, uh, when you look here at James chapter one, it says in verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. And so James says, count it joy when you go through really difficult times. And you can hear the song and the way those words are put together and you can hear what James says and say, well, are we then saying that the difficult things that come in life are because God has done and we should just be really happy about all the the hardships? I said, well, not exactly, right? I, I want us to think about what scripture tells us about who God is. And the first thing that I want you to see is really in verses 13, 14, and 15 here. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it fully grown, brings forth death. And so the first thing I want us to consider is that God never wills or does evil, whether in his intention or his actions in any way. Right. What James tells us right there is God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And so God, in his perfect character of who he is, there is no evil in him. Right? God in, in no way is tempting us with evil. 
And it's important truth when we start to think about the way in which we sing the song and the way that we understand it, that God never wills or does evil ever. And it is at odds with his perfect divine character. God would cease to be God if he were doing evil. And so it's an important distinction that we need to start with about who God is at the very heart of who is it of his character. That God is good and there is no evil intention or action that comes from him. So the question then comes, well, where does it come from? And why do we say that? And these are great, big, huge questions that people have been asking for a long time. And it's good to ask and think through. We want to be reasoned in our faith and how we get there. But what the Bible tells us is that God gives us real choices with real consequences in our life. That he creates us in his image after his likeness to know and to love him. But then he gives us real choices. He allows us the choice of whether we're going to trust him or we're not going to trust him. And that goes back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden. And he places them there and he gives them real choices with real consequences. And if you know the story, very quickly, we as people choose to ignore God and the world he created. That is to sin. And as we sin, along with it, sin enters into the world and there's consequences that come with it. And so we see evil in the world all around us because of the choices that we make. And so the question then can come, well, where does evil come from and how does it begin? And I think because God gives us real choices with real consequences, it makes for the possibility that, we, that evil can enter. God doesn't will evil. He doesn't do evil. He's not the author of evil, but he gives us real choices with real consequences. And so sin has entered into the world and we see all of the the consequences that then come with it. And so when we choose sin, there's now sin in the world and there's a futility that's now built into creation that's inherent because of sin. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us that in the creation... It's been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That there's now a futility built into all things because of our sin. And God allows that to be the case. And he's not doing evil and he does not will evil. But his purposes in that are to show us the ends of our sin. It's not vindictive. It's not that he's. Uh, being punitive, it's restorative in the way that he does that. He allows us to feel the consequences of our sin and it's his grace that is showing us where it leads. And so within the creation, there is now futility in all these different ways because of our rebellion against him. But God never wills or does evil and he is not the author of evil. And so it's so important for us to recognize this, that God is good And there is no evil in him, in his intentions or in his actions, that he allows the consequences of our sin for us to feel them and for us to see them in the creation because he's good and because he's gracious and he wants us to see the ends of what happens as we continue to rebel. But then there's also a third part of this that we need to make sure that we see. And this goes to really the heart of the song and the reason we sing it and what it gets at. And it is that God is great. He is sovereignly in control of all things. He can work through even our suffering. 
even the evil that is in the world that comes from our own bad choices or the things that come at us in our life because of other people's sin and the futility that's now in creation. That God sovereignly, he is so good and he is so great and he is so powerful that he can use even our bad choices or the bad choices of those around us to bring about his ultimate purposes. That's how great God is. That he can still work even in the midst of the things that we see around us and the evil that comes in our life. And so God can work even through tragedy Poor choices of others or the sin or rebellion of others that we then bear the brunt of. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you're going along your way, seeking to honor God and doing good things, and then things come crashing down on you in your life. And at different times that happens. But God is big enough and powerful enough to even work through those things that often at different times feel like no good can come out of. I've shared with you different times that my brother Jed died in a car wreck. Uh, was 29 years old. And a bunch of bad decisions led to that of him getting in the car with someone that was under the influence. And a wreck happened and he was thrown from the car and he was killed. And it's one of those things that you go through and the, the grieving and the hardship. And it's easy at different times to feel like no good can come from this. Right? This tragedy that happens and someone dying at a very young age seems to be completely senseless. And so going through all those emotions when that happened, but I vividly remember God kind of tapping me on the shoulder and showing me how he was working even through that. About a year, almost a year to the day that my brother Jed died, a friend of mine called me and he said, one of my really good friends that I work with, his brother just died in a car wreck. And he said, I know you went through that he was, this friend was at my brother Jed's funeral. He was there and all that. He said, I know you went through that not that long ago. What do I say to him? What do I tell him in the midst of this? And I said, well, let me uh, gather some thoughts and I'll, I'll send you an email. I'll put my thoughts down and I'll give you an email and you can share it with him if you want or you can send him the, do whatever you want with it. And he said, okay, thank you. I appreciate it. And so I sat down like that day and I wrote through basically the second half of this sermon. I'll get to in a minute. <laughs> But that's basically what I shared with him about how God's working and what he's doing and how he can work in our suffering and how he knows it and how he's with us in it. And I sent him this email and I kind of forgot about it. And the next week, August 18th, my brother Jed died on August 18th. Uh, Joanna and I were down. I vividly remember we were in Alpharetta and we were leaving uh, a barbecue restaurant and Jed and Asher were two and one, you know, they were a little bitty and you're putting them in the car and my phone rings and it's my friend. He goes, uh, you're not gonna believe this. I just left my friend's funeral, like his, my friend for his brother, his funeral. And he said, I was sitting in this funeral and, uh, his wife got up to speak and he said, she got up to speak and she took out a piece of paper and she said, I've never been so down and struggling with this and I'm just at a complete loss that I've lost my husband, but someone forwarded me an email this week and I want to read it to you. And he said, she started to read the email that you wrote to me. And she proclaimed about how good God is, even in our suffering, and who Jesus is, and what he's done for us. And he said, she just proclaimed the gospel to this room full of people in the midst of their suffering, and she was using your words. And I hung up the phone, and I remember standing there, and it was literally like God tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you see how I'm redeeming your suffering right now? 
I do. And God met me in that moment and showed me that what you thought was senseless and so hard to get your head around, I am at work even in this. And that God is that great. And He's that sovereign and He's that good that even in the midst of the things that we can't understand and we can't get our head around and we try to wrestle through, and God says, I'm at work. And I so vividly remember that. And so God meets us even in those things. And it's really hard when you're in the midst of it. And sometimes it goes for a while where you don't see how that's at work or, or how good is coming out of it, but God is working in those different ways. He's so great that not only does he do that when things happen in your life, but he does it at different times when the suffering and the problems is because of your poor choices. Sometimes our suffering and our struggle is because of the dumb things that we've done or our own rebellion or our own sin. And God allows you to feel the consequences in it again for his restorative purposes. Now, it doesn't mean that we go, oh, yes, count it all joy when you sin. That's not what he says. And even the context here, he's talking about things that happen in your life. But God does meet you in the midst of even in your own uh, struggles that you're feeling. He uses those things to bring us back. And God is so great and so good that he works even in these different ways. He works on both those fronts. And so I want you to think about that song when it talks about the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. You strike down to bind me up and you say you do it all in love that I might know you in your suffering. That God meets us in the midst of those moments. Why it's appropriate that we can even say and use that language. It's not that God wills or does evil. He doesn't. He's perfectly good. But he is so good and he is so great that he can even use those moments to bring about redemption. And so we can say it's you that's doing this. We can say, though you slay me, though you allow these things to happen in my life, you are at work. And so that's why we sing this song. That's why we come back to those things. And so these foundational truths are so very important for us to understand that. God is good. He doesn't will evil. The consequences that we feel he uses for our redemption to draw us back to him, to trust him in greater ways but that God is so great that he works even through our suffering, even through those really difficult times that God can and does redeem those. Now, those are foundational truths about who God is. But the truth is when those really difficult times come, it's hard to hold on to those. It's hard to really see and trust God when you're in the midst of it. And so I want to give you three things that it says here, three things that help us in the midst of those times. And so look at verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so I want you to think about it this way, the three ways to look back in faith, to look up to Jesus, and then to look forward in hope. And so when I say look back in faith, I want you to think about what faith is. 
say all the time that faith, saving faith is transferring your trust to Jesus and what he's done for you. I'm going to put my trust in who God is and what he's doing. I'm going to let that stand even over my understanding and even over my feelings in the moment. But faith is not without reason. We look at who God is and what he's done and the ways he's moving and we trust him. We trust him based on the facts of who he is, what he's done for us in Jesus. It's not just blind faith. Faith is, is, is born out of reason and understanding and who God is and the way he's revealed himself. And so when we look back to the things that we know about who God is and what he's done and what he's shown us, when the difficult times come in our life, we seek the Lord on it. But look at what James says. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Here's the hard part. When you get in the middle of really difficult things, you will want to believe lies about who God is. You will want to believe lies about your situation in that moment. Well, I don't know that this will work this way. Yeah, God loves me and God knows, but he doesn't understand my situation right now. And so we start to doubt and we start to operate in unbelief rather than faith about what God has told us. But James says, when you come to those moments, ask God, ask him for God, but do so in faith, believing what he's told you. And so I think about it uh, of looking back in the sense of understanding who God is and what he's done, that faith is grounded in what he has shown us. Right, that we're trusting who he is and what he's done and what he's shown us and what he's revealed to us in his word. And so he says, when you come to those moments, seek the Lord, but do so holding fast to what you know is true. That God is good and he does not bring, he does not do evil. That God does work through those things. That God can redeem even the most difficult of circumstances. And you trust him in that. And so that's the first part. But then the second part, and this is so important for a resource in the midst of our suffering, I think it's really what sets Christianity apart from all other worldviews, is that when you come to the most difficult times in your life, the resource of suffering that we have is that we worship a God who is with us and who has been through all the things that we have been through. He is not far off. We don't worship a God who sits up on high and tells us that this is what is true and just trust me. He actually comes to us and he enters into his creation and he walks through all the things that we go through. He's been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin and he knows everything that you've gone through. And so I I love in the song because it captures all these things. You get to the bridge and it says, though tonight I'm crying out, let this cup pass from me now. You're still all that I need. You're enough for me. Do you know what that line's talking about? Tonight I'm crying out, let this cup pass from me now. It's talking about Jesus hours before he will be crucified in the garden of Gethsemane as he falls down and he prays, right? You know the story? The disciples are in the upper room. They, they have the last meal together. He institutes uh, communion, the Lord's Supper. They get up and they go into the garden and he asks the disciples to stay up and pray with them. You know the story? They all go, he goes, I'm going to go right over here. You guys pray. They all fall asleep. Right? They're exhausted. They're falling asleep. Jesus is on his face crying out to the Father. He tells us he is sweating droplets of blood because of the intensity of what he's facing. 
And Jesus cries out to the Father, if there be any way that this cup can pass from me, right? God, if there's any other way to bring the redemption of the good creation and the plan here, this would be the time to tell me. And what we see in that, in the, that very heart of that is we see the fullness of the humanity of Jesus, his divinity and his humanity, and he's wrestling with it and he's understanding what's about to happen that he's going to go to the cross and he's going to bear the sins of all those that would put their faith in him. He's going to bear the wrath of God against all the sin of the world and it's going to come crashing down on him and he knows it. And there's fear and there's this struggle in the midst of all of that and he's going through this suffering and understanding and he gets up and he says, not my will but yours. In the midst of that, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, no, but you're still all I need. You're enough. And he gets up and he walks straight into what he's going to do on the cross. Right, right after that, Peter pulls a sword out. says, this isn't going to happen this way. He says, put your sword down. You know what he says to him right after that? He says, I can call down angels right now and this will be over, but I am choosing to do this. And in those moments, we see that Jesus understands all the things that we go through. Every bit of it. There's nothing that you will face in your life that he doesn't understand. There's never something that you come to in your life and you go, no, no, this is outside of his realm of his understanding. It doesn't exist. And everything that you will deal with in your life. And so when you get to those moments, you fix your eyes on Jesus and you trust him. You trust that he has succeeded where we fail. That he tells us, I will never leave you or forsake you. That he is our perfect high priest that's been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. That he lives to make intercession for you in all things. And you trust him in the midst of it. Though you slay me, I will worship you. Though I'm not sure how this is going to work out in this moment right now, but what I know is true is that you're the God of the universe. And I'm going to trust you in everything. And so you look back in faith, knowing what you know about who God is and the way he's revealed. You look up to Jesus, the one who's been tempted in every way that we have, yet without sin. But then the last part is you look forward in hope. Hope is faith in the future. Hope, biblically speaking, is a confident assurance in what is to come based on who God is and what he's done and who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And we're certain that it's going to come because of God's character and because of what he's done and because of what he's proven to us. It's not absent of reason. It's based on what God has done. And so we look forward in hope. Look at what he says in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. One of the most incredible promises in all the Bible is that you trust me and you walk with me and you continue to, to, to put your faith in me and what I'm doing for you and it's going to be far better than you could ever imagine. There's going to be glory that comes that I'm going to redeem all the suffering and everything that you've ever gone through. And all those moments when you want to say, I don't see how this can work. Thanks, God, but I'm not going to do it in that way. He says, no, 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 you continue to trust me. You walk with me. 
He says, I'm going to give you a crown of life. I don't know exactly what that means. I've thought about that a lot at different times. He talks about he's going to give us crowns. He's going to do all this. The only thing I can figure is that he's the crown of life. That we're going to stand before him and we're going to see how all of it fits together. And every bit of it. And we're going to understand how he was working and what he was doing and all the levels in which he was redeeming all these things. And suddenly we're going to see how all of it comes together. And we're going to be able to say what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed. And we're going to go, yes. Trust him that even now, even in the most difficult of circumstances, that it's going to be worth it. He's proven it to us in what he's done in his death and resurrection. It's not blind faith. We know it's coming. He's regenerating all things. And so I love this song because it pulls all of that together. It says, my heart and flesh may fail. The earth below give way. But with my eyes, with my eyes, I will see the Lord. Lifted high on that day, behold the lamb that was slain. And I'll know every tear was worth it all. Oh, yes. Do you understand why we sing this song? Who he is, that he's worth it. That he's at work in all these things. And we can trust him. Let's pray together, then we're going to take communion, then we're going to stand and sing that song together this morning. God, we thank you that you are at work in all things. That even when we don't understand, I pray that you would increase our faith, that you would help us to trust you fully in all things and in all ways, that when we are tempted to believe lies that you that no good can come from this and that you're not working in these struggles and in these hard times that you are. And I pray that you would help us to see that clearly. When we begin to doubt that, would you remind us of the glorious good news of what you've done for us in Jesus? That you know every bit of our suffering, every bit of our pain, that you have come to redeem it all and that we can trust you in that. We thank you that is true. Help us to see it afresh today pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.